Great to see each and every one of you. If you have a Bible with you or on an app or a device that you have with you, I'd love for you to have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6. We're getting back into the series that we started several weeks ago, uh, bringing heaven to earth, learning all we can from probably one of the more well-known, if not the most well-known prayer uh, ever, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Whatever faith background, tradition, experience you bring to this place, you are somewhat familiar with this prayer found in Matthew uh, chapter 6. We actually just have this week and next week. Uh, Next week we're going to be talking about uh, what some have called the doxology portion of the prayer. Um, It's actually not found in Matthew chapter 6. It's kind of a, it is a footnote uh, on the bottom. It was added to manuscripts later, and uh, we're going to kind of recap the entire prayer uh, next week, and then we have a missionary coming the weekend after, and uh, then after that, it's um, Advent, and um, we're there. So, um, so uh, just before we jump into Matthew chapter 6 and bringing heaven to earth, do want to uh, just highlight a meeting that's coming up. Uh, once a year, we have what we call an annual meeting as a church. This is uh, a meeting, a gathering for us to take care of some business, uh, but also to kind of cast some vision, talk about plans for next year. Uh, there's two important items of business that we take care of during this meeting. One is our budget for next year, and the other is uh, the election of officers, our treasurer, assistant treasurer, uh, secretary, and then new elders, new leaders. Uh, who will be part of our leadership team here at Hope. Uh, This week, we sent an email with both documents included. Uh, We have copies of the documents, the budget, 2018 budget, uh, and the nominating committee report. They're out in our Connection Center. Uh, If you didn't want to print them off, uh, we printed them off for you. Uh, So you can grab one of these. If you have any questions between now and our meeting on the 15th, um, November 15th, it's a Wednesday night. Uh, We have children's ministry, youth ministry, middle school ministry going on that night. Uh, We encourage you to reach out to the pastoral staff, our elders. Uh, We'd love to answer as many questions as we can ahead of time just to maximize that hour and a half or so that we're together. It goes very fast, and there's a lot to cover in that hour and a half. And uh, so if you have any questions related to the budget or the nominating report, the leaders, the elders, uh, please let us know ahead of time. We'd love to answer those questions. And so I encourage you to grab uh, these documents and ask any questions. And then lastly, just thanks for continuing to pray for Pastor Jeff as he's in Gabon. I got a text from him yesterday uh, evening, and uh, so it was kind of probably more uh, late evening, late night for him, and uh, just said, things are going great. Thanks for the prayers. He said, the only thing that's gone wrong is my computer died uh, the day after I got here. So, uh, but he still has his cell phone. He's able to text. So, uh, but thanks for continuing to pray uh, for Pastor Jeff. Hope by now you have Matthew chapter 6. Open. So growing up, there was a lot of shows I would watch on TV, but every, I think it was Monday night, I always made sure I was sitting on the couch, I think it was around 8 o'clock, uh, from MacGyver. Uh, MacGyver, I hear you in the response. MacGyver was hands down my favorite show growing up. Richard Dean Anderson was the star. This is pre-Stargate, uh, Richard Dean Anderson. Now, I am aware there is a remake out, and I'll just say some things are best left undone. Um, But while I liked almost every episode of MacGyver, my favorite episodes had to be when his nemesis, or the villain, if you will, of MacGyver showed up. And if you watch the show, his name was Murdoch. Uh, 
and Murdoch would show up periodically in a handful of episodes every season. And what I always loved what he would he was always he would always bear the scars from the previous time they were together. And every episode when Murdoch would show up, again, the nemesis, the villain of the show, there was always this, is the bomb going to go off? Is he going to kill MacGyver this time? Is he going to defeat MacGyver? But in the end, MacGyver and whoever was with him would win, and he'd be victorious, and uh, he would continue his missions with for the Phoenix Foundation, which I still have no idea what that ever was. <laughs> It's interesting, as you think about it, that most shows we like or the books we read have a villain. Whether they're books or movies, shows we watch on TV. Little Red Riding Hood had the big bad wolf. Dorothy was hunted by the Wicked Witch of the West. William Wallace fought against, the long, fought against Longshanks. Luke Skywalker had Darth Vader. Rocky had Victor Drago and many others. And every baseball team has the Yankees that we just hate and we despise. If you are a Yankee fan, I'm not saying your team is Satan. I'm not saying that, or a villain, although they're close. That's right. Thank you, Gordon. They're very close. <laughs> but it seems like every story has a villain. There's a nemesis. There's a presence of evil. And I think there's something even bigger going on. Every story has a villain because I want to say the story that is being told in history, God's story, has a villain, has an enemy. The Bible calls him Satan. And today as we find ourselves embedded again in this familiar prayer, we find ourselves thinking about Satan. Maybe someone a spiritual personality presence, if you will, that we don't think much about, but is very, very real. And we're going to find ourselves thinking about him as we think about this phrase from the Lord's Prayer. But before we get there, I want to just take a moment to pray. And then we'll dive into Matthew chapter 6. God, in light of even what we're talking about today, Satan and the enemy of your story, our story, um, Lord, I pray even in these moments that because of your, the blood of Jesus that we have remembered, the death of Jesus that we've remembered through communion, these elements we just a moment ago held in our hands, would you, based on the blood of Jesus and the power of Jesus, keep him away even in these moments? He would want to do everything he can to distract, to discourage, to um, cause us to be hindered or hampered from hearing from you and what you have for each of us today, um, how you want us to live this out beyond this room. It's not just about hearing this, it's about doing it. And so God, we pray in your name, in your power against the attacks of the schemes of the enemy, of the evil one, even in these moments we're gathered together today. Thank you for all you have for us. Thank you for the food, the nourishment, the daily bread, so to speak, that you have for us today. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus said, Then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here's the phrase we're going to camp out on for the next few moments we're together. And lead us not into temptation, but would you deliver us, set us free, keep us, if you will, from the evil one. This is the phrase we're going to camp out on. And what we've been trying to do over these weeks that we've been unpacking and taking apart each petition, each uh, phrase, if you will, in this prayer is to not look at it in isolation, not to look at it uh, removed, so to speak, from the overall context of the prayer, but to ask ourselves, why would Jesus include this in this model of prayer? Why is it important to pray that we not give in to temptation and that we are delivered, we have victory from the evil one? We have to remember what Jesus has talked about before. He, he says, when you pray, it's appropriate, it's good to pray, hallowed be your name. Your name, God, be set apart, be sanctified, be, be shown to be holy through the way I, we live our lives. He's also prayed, your kingdom come. That the kingdom of God would come to earth. It would be near. It would be experienced. It's meant to be tangible. And he also prayed that God's will would be done on earth. What God wants, what is happening in heaven would be lived out here on earth. So how do all those petitions, those requests tie into this one? Lead us not into temptation. This, when you pray, pray this way, Jesus says, but deliver us from the evil one. And I, I think there's a lot of maybe reasons why this is included in the prayer in light of what Jesus has already prayed. And one I just want to kind of camp out on is the reality that there's an enemy who doesn't want God's name to be hallowed. He doesn't want God's kingdom to come. And he doesn't want God's will to be done. He doesn't want those things to happen. And he will do everything and anything he can to hinder or prevent or discourage these things from happening. He's really on a mission. He's on a mission to stop or to hinder, to keep back what God is doing. Ultimately, we don't, um, we don't come at this from a defeated perspective. We're not, this enemy is defeated, Based on the death of Jesus and the fact that if you went to Jerusalem today and looked in the tomb, it's empty. He's a defeated enemy. We could say the war is over, and it is. But the reality, before Jesus comes back again, the battles continue. And today, there's an enemy who wants to do everything he can to distract us those of us who are God's children, he hates God. Satan hates God and he hates those who bear his image. He hates them and he hates God's children. And he will do everything he can to distract, discourage, hinder what God wants to do. And I believe knowing that this story, the story that God is telling, has an enemy, it makes sense that when Jesus says, pray all these other things, it makes sense that he would include this in this model of prayer for protection 
for deliverance from the enemy that would cause us or hinder us from carrying on what God wants us to do. So we find ourselves with this petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And honestly, at at a first glance, it seems strange, at least the first petition. Lead us not into temptation, Matthew 6, 13. Lead us, like you would think, now we all know assumptions are dangerous to make. But you would think this would be a safe one. That we wouldn't have to pray that God wouldn't lead us into temptation. You would think you'd do the opposite. Keep us from temptation. So what in the world is the emphasis or the heart, the, the, the focus of uh, this phrase? Especially even the first phrase. Lead us not into temptation. So what is Jesus inviting us into praying? As we pray this prayer, not just pray it, but live it out. What is he inviting us into? We need to know that the force or emphasis of this petition is, is, is not necessarily lead us in, don't lead us into temptation, but the force or the emphasis of this petition is cause us, is to not cause us to succumb to temptation. That, that to not give in, the, another word for the temptation here, and this word temptation is also testing. Help us to pass the test, not give in, not fail the test. Help us not give in to the temptation before us. John Stott, theologian, pastor, said this, his paraphrase, if you will, of this this phrase here, this this petition embedded in the Lord's Prayer. He says this, I like what he says, says, do not allow us to be led into temptation that it overwhelms us, that we give in to it. We fail the test, if you will. But instead, would you rescue us? Would you deliver us? Would you help us get through this with passing colors, so to speak? So knowing that the story of, that God is telling throughout history has an enemy or has a villain, if you will, we know this to be true. But the question I want to lay before us as we continue on today is do we live our lives like we have an enemy? Like it's one thing to know it. We know uh, Satan is real. He's not the the guy with the the horns and the pitchfork. Uh, I was, well, a few weeks ago, I was watching my brother-in-law and his two kids, my niece and nephew, run in a 5K on uh, the Cam's Corners area. And um, it was, again, close to Halloween. So you have all these people running this 5K dressed up in costumes. And sure enough, Satan's costume is still like a popular one. There he goes, running down Cam's Corners with his pitchfork and horns and red suit. But he's not that. He's real. So it's one thing to know that there's an enemy, but the question I want to ask us or lay before us today is do we live our lives like there is one? Do we realize there's temptation that he's going to put before us? Do we face each day acknowledging, acknowledging that we have an enemy who hates God, who hates us, who call ourselves his children. He's a, he's a God who hates, he's a, he's a being who hates the kingdom of God. He hates faith being put into action. He hates forgiveness. He, and we could go on and on. And he is, a, he is a being, a reality who will put temptation before us. And one of the powers of temptation is silence. We don't talk about them. We don't acknowledge them. If we're feeling tempted in a certain way to do something, a certain behavior, 
we don't talk about them. So what I want to do in just a few moments, I want us to talk about three temptations we face. And we talked about this throughout these weeks, over these weeks, that when we study this prayer, our natural bent here in America and the West is to focus on the individual. What does this mean to me? How do I pray this? What are the temptations I face? And I think it's appropriate to think about those things and talk about those things. But there's also a collective emphasis, a us in this prayer, a community type emphasis. Uh, we talked even about our father. It's not just my father, but it's our father. So, so I want us to think big church. I want us to think us today as we think about temptation. Now, the reality is you and I face varying temptations. You and I have different bents towards certain behaviors. You know the temptations, I'm sure you do, that you feel on a regular basis, the pull of the enemy towards certain behaviors and actions or inactivity. Like, you know that. I don't want to focus on us as individuals. I want us to think about Church, what are some of the temptations that we face in the body of Christ? And I just want to, there's many. This is not an exhaustive list. And honestly, these temptations that we're going to talk about are maybe not as obvious. They, they can, and this is even some of the danger in them, they can be very subtle and just kind of under the radar. And we're, maybe we're not even aware that these are temptations that we feel or we face. And that's where I believe it's important to acknowledge them, bring awareness to these temptations. So even in light of what we've prayed already through this prayer, what, what a, we're going to look at just three temptations, and then we'll pray. We'll actually give us some time at, this, at the close of our service to pray, and pray for God's deliverance from these. So first, here's the first temptation. We can be tempted to live more for the kingdom of this world than the kingdom of God. You and I, every day, can be tempted, and are tempted, I think, to live more for the kingdom of this world than the kingdom of God. And that's another reason why Jesus included this in the prayer. Pray this regularly. So it's on your minds. We talked, when we talked about that that week, a few weeks ago, your kingdom come, we talked about how the kingdom of God was something Jesus talked about almost on every page. Now, again, he's not writing the Bible. Uh, he did write the Bible, but uh, he's not writing it as he's living. He spoke, and the, those who recorded his life wrote it down. But on almost every page of the Gospels is something about the kingdom of God. So there's a reason, there's a lot of reasons why Jesus talked about that a lot. One, it's important. You repeat things that are important. I don't know about you, but my kids, I'll say like they're going to someone's house uh, to hang out, spend the night, uh, and I will usually say some of the same things. I'll reiterate important things, and they'll say, Dad, you've said that before. And I was like, I know, but this is important. I want you to hear it again. And we repeat things, ideas that are important to us. And Jesus continually talked about the kingdom of God for a variety of reasons. One, because it's important. It's vitally important for us as his followers to understand what is the kingdom? How do I live now as a citizen of the kingdom? And secondly... The reality is the ways, values of this world don't just leave us quickly. 
Jesus knew it was going to be hard for his followers to live differently. That when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are new creations in Christ. But we are on the same time, we are on this journey of being set free more and more from the residue of the flesh, from the values of our culture, even to some degree the values of our families of origin that maybe are not the best. Like this is all part of who we are and these things just don't disappear when we come to Jesus. That's the process of sanctification. The part of the process of sanctification is being set free from those. So Jesus knew these values, these ways of living, these mindsets, these perspectives were not just going to poof, just disappear. So he talked about the kingdom of God continually. And Jesus said that my kingdom is not of this world. It's different. It runs contrary to the ways, the values of the world we live in. Just some ways it runs differently. The world says, hate your enemies. Hate those who hate you. Hate those who want to hurt you. Hate them. The kingdom of God says, love them. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of this world advances by exercising power over people while the kingdom of God advances by exercising power under them. It says, you want to be great? Become a servant. The kingdom of this world is intrinsically tribal in nature. It is heavily invested in defending, if not advancing, one's own people group, one's nation, one's ethnicity, one's state, one's ideologies, one's political agenda. The kingdom of God, however, is intrinsically universal. For it is created on a simple, on simply loving as God loves. And is centered on people living for the sole purpose of replicating the love of Jesus Christ to all people at all times, in all places, without condition. It's interesting, even in light of Tuesday, we have elections coming up Tuesday. I know they're not major, uh, maybe national elections and don't have as much publicity right now, but... But they are elections, and we think about elections, it's easy to think about politics, and I know sometimes, or many times, church and politics don't mix. But sometimes when we look at the world, we look at events, we look at circumstances, the first grid that we look through what happens in the world or the decisions we make is through the political grid that we have. I like what Rich Violdis, he's a pastor in Queens. I read this quote from him a number of months ago. It has always struck with me. It's a challenging quote. I challenge my own heart, mindset as it relates to politics. He says, for the Christian, being stubbornly partisan is a bad thing because no political party is wholly aligned with the kingdom of God. No political party, whatever political party you might have or I might have, is completely and wholly aligned with the kingdom of God. And that's what we're talking about. Are we living based on the kingdom of the world, the values and the systems of the ways of the world, or do we allow the kingdom of God to influence all we do? The reality is the ways of this world can become so ingrained in us, we don't even know we're doing it. It just becomes normal and natural. 
But when we pray prayers like this, it will cause us to have to question and ask, are we living more for the kingdom of God, what he would want, or more for the kingdom of this world? Hence the importance of this prayer. God, lead us not into temptation. Don't help, help us not be overcome by this, but be delivered from it. So here's a question as we wrap up this thought. How, do I, how often do I find myself How often do I find myself thinking about the kingdom of God and the normal rhythm of life? The normal rhythm. What would it, am I thinking about what would it look like for the kingdom of God to come near in this situation or in that relationship or this situation at work or this situation in my neighborhood or this relational thing that's going on right now or what that world event that's happening. What would it look like for the kingdom of God to come and show up for God's will to be done there? Maybe this will help us realize there's a temptation in front of us that we didn't even know was there. So that's the first temptation. The second temptation is this. We can be tempted to live with the reality of evil more than the reality of an evil one. The reality, we can be tempted to live with the reality of evil more than the reality of an evil one, Satan. We, can, we live keenly aware of the reality of evil. A man rents a truck and drives it down a bike path in New York City. A mom, a teacher, a wife is murdered in her home in Strongsville. A man walks into Walmart in Colorado, shoots three people and walks out. We are keenly aware of evil. Not just evil out there. I believe we're also keenly aware of the evil in here, in all of us, that does things we wish it didn't do. In the midst of that, all these realities, I don't want us to forget that evil isn't just out there and evil just isn't in here, but there's an evil one. There's an evil one. There's a personality behind the evil we see in our world. There's a personality behind it. Jesus lived with this awareness. He lived with the reality that evil wasn't just out there, but it was a, there was a person, there was a personality, a spiritual being behind it. And why is this important? Because there's an evil one, friends, who is scheming and plotting, planning ways to destroy what God wants to do in our lives. And again, we don't live with this defeatist mindset. We have one who's been defeated, but we still have to live with this reality right now during this time. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about this reality. I just want to highlight one. First Peter chapter 5. Peter, again, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote this letter. Um, and here's what he talked about, how he described Satan and what he encouraged the people that were reading his letter in us here so many years later, thousands of years later. Peter said this in chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Be aware. Be aware of this. Don't be lulled into like, you know, he's not, he's not that bad. I don't have to think about these things. But be alert. Why? And I love the imagery here. This helps us understand the severity of this. Your enemy, the devil, there he is, the villain, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We've all watched the shows on National Geographic. We've all seen the lion on the prowl watching its prey, waiting for the right time to go after him, knowing when the right time is. 
I love going to the zoo with our family. I love especially checking out the lions. The lions feel very safe when they're behind the cage. But friends, can you imagine if you and I were at Cleveland Zoo and they put an announcement over the intercom that the, the lion was out? That would change a whole new alertness to us, wouldn't it? I mean, you would walk around the zoo completely different. There wouldn't be like, everything's fine, but they would be like, where is the lion? And I wonder, how often do we think about that we have an enemy who is plotting against us, who's prowling, who's dangerous, who knows certain tactics to bring up. He has schemes. He has ways. He lies. And I wonder sometimes, do we just go through life without even realizing that I have an enemy? My family has an enemy. Our church, the church, has an enemy that is doing everything he can to come at us, to attack are we prepared? Are we paying attention? Are we calling out his tactics when we see them? Are we calling out lies when we see them? Or are we just kind of walking through life without this reality, without this perspective? We could be tempted, and again, it's subtle. I believe he wants us to live like this, that he doesn't exist. It's not a big deal. And we could be easily tempted to live with the reality of evil more than there's an evil one behind it all. And just the third temptation is this, and then we'll wrap up. We could be tempted to live independent of God instead of dependent upon him. Some of the hardest words you and I will ever say is, I need help. <laughs> I mean, it could be major. It could be our marriage is falling apart. And it could be like, you know what? We're okay. We'll get through this. We don't need anyone else. Help. Or you could be at Drug Mart. I was at Drug Mart just a few weeks ago, and I can't remember what I was looking for, but I was going to find it. And I passed a number of associates in the aisles, and I'm not going to ask them. I'm going to find it. And eventually I did. I was probably there a good half an hour, but I found it. But there's something in us that is, it's so hard to just say, and even to say, I need help. I need help with something. I, I, I'm struggling with something. I'm vulnerable in this area. And when it comes to our walk with God, we can easily sense and feel our need of him when the bottom falls out, when the doctor's report doesn't come back good, when, when the tension is in our home, when, when we lose our job, um, when, whenever you know, trials come, like that's, we can cling on to God in those moments and say, God, I need your help. But what about friends in the normal, mundane, average day of life? When things are going good, do we still sense that need of God, that dependency upon him in the normal, average, mundane of life? The emphasis of verse 13 in chapter 6, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The, the emphasis on these petitions is you and I need help. We can't defeat the enemy. We can't defeat the temptation. We can't do this alone. These two petitions reveal vulnerabilities in us that at times are hard to admit. Who wants to be vulnerable? 
It's one of the more uncomfortable emotions we will ever experience in life. But these two petitions cause us as followers of Jesus to reveal our vulnerabilities and to realize we have an enemy that we cannot defeat in our own power, in our own strength. And these petitions reveal deliverance only comes from one person. It's God. And it's that continual dependency every day, walking with him to seek deliverance. D.A. Carson, pastor, right author, he said this about this petition. He says, as the Christians grow, or I would even add there, as we mature, as we grow in our walk with God and mature in our walk with God, as we grow in holy living, he says they sense their own, they should sense their own inherent moral weakness and rejoice that whatever virtue they possess flourishes as the fruit of the Spirit. He says, more and more, they recognize the deceptive subtleties of their own hearts and the malicious cunning of the evil one and fervently request of their heavenly Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We've sung a song here at Hope. It's actually an older chorus. The, The chorus's name is, I Need Thee Every Hour. And I thought about that song this week. There's a line in that song that says this, Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. Temptations lose their power when when you are near, is what it's saying there. When you're close, when I'm walking hand in hand with you, not just when the bottom falls out, but moment by moment. In the context of this whole prayer that we've been studying for these several weeks is relationship. Our Father in heaven, he's a father who was with us and wants to be with us and wants to help and wants to provide deliverance and courage and victory. And I wonder, again, another question to help us think about this temptation. Do we feel our need? Do we sense our dependency upon God our Father at all times? Do we think about it each day, each day, when we leave our house? Three, what I would call very subtle temptations that we are all, all of us, in danger of succumbing to. But I'm thankful that Jesus provided a way to pray. That God would lead us not, don't be overcome, ruled, give in to this temptation, but God, would you provide deliverance for us? So I just want to wrap up with this. We know the story of God, the story that God is telling throughout history has an enemy. But again, the question before us today is do we live our lives like there is one? And maybe to add even another question to that, do we pray like we have an enemy? Do we pray like the reality that you and I have an enemy. What we want to do is we want to give us just a few moments to pray. We live busy lives on the go, here, there. You have plans after this, where you're going to go. But we want to just give us a few moments as a body just to pray. The worship team is going to sing a song. The words will be up there. You can sing them with them. But I'm praying that God would bring awareness to the temptations that we face. Maybe they're these. Maybe there are other ones that are on your mind right now. And just to give us some moments to ask him, seek him, God, would you provide the deliverance? 
We want to always let you know that the front of our sanctuary is always open for prayer. If you want to uh, be more alone, then you can be in your seat. Uh, if you want to come and kneel at the front, you can bring some people to pray with you. If you want to have this space, it's there for you uh, to pray. So I'm going to pray, and then the worship team will lead us in this time of response as we sing and pray together. So God, thank you for this prayer again. And we do pray that this wouldn't just be a prayer we pray, but it would be a way we live. And even thank you for bringing to my mind again the reality this week that, that I, we, have an enemy who uh, is cunning and works in ways maybe that we don't see happening at times under the radar. But Lord, thank you for this petition this request, this prayer we can pray. I'm thankful that your heart is deliverance. Your heart towards us is good and you long to provide that victory. So God, help us to know the power of prayer, the power of acknowledging temptations and would you provide deliverance for all of us. Meet with us in these moments that we seek you through prayer, through song today. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.